You're listening. You're listening to, to, to Mommy Bomb. You're listening to To Mommy Bomb. Hey, Kals. Hey, Hobbecker. Hey, uh, everybody out there. Welcome to To Mommy Bomb. Before we get started, I think Kals and I just want to make a quick apology to John Wood. Who... Yeah, yeah. So John Wood is with an organization called Braver Angels, which is really cool. It's it's trying to bring polarized blue America and polarized red America together. And so maybe we're even going to have him on the pod at some time as a guest, but we couldn't remember his name in our first episode. And we thought we should acknowledge up front that his name is John Wood with Braver Angels. Yeah. So apologies and check it out. Also make sure that you go and like us on Apple podcasts and give us a review if you have time. Yeah, even if you don't like us, like even if you hate us, we would be grateful if you would take the time to do a rating and a review or at least a rating on Apple Podcasts. Yeah. All, All right. right. Without, with, uh, what do they say? Without further ado, further I'm messing ado. that up somehow. With, yeah, without yeah. further ado. Without further ado, here is episode one of Tumami Bomb. You're listening to Tumami Bomb. Bomb. So I find the mechanics of all this very boring. So tell me uh, what what you got into at the 18-minute mark of the Lowry podcast. Oh, uh, man, I can't even remember. But I do remember one thing I got into. Okay. Uh, he, he started to flip out at his guest. Yeah. Who I can't remember who it is. About, how, like, when he said that the police officer was guilty. And he's like, we're already assuming guilt without a trial. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know he flipped out a little bit there. And, and, you know, the guy's like, well, look, this isn't me, you know, this is just what people are saying or whatever. And that was, I was cool with that because I think, you know, obviously the police officers do deserve a trial. But then later he's like talking about the rioters and how they're all guilty. And I was a little bit like, well, wait a second. They didn't, they didn't have a trial yet either. Right. Assuming they're all guilty. Yeah. Although it's. I, yeah, fair point. He might even say to you, fair point. Um, the distinction is maybe that in a few cases of rioting, maybe you can actually see on tape someone setting fire. Or at least I, I remember one um, video shot by a friend of mine in Indy. And you, you can see the guy. He happens to be white. Uh Antifa, um, like bashing <laughs> windows, whereas the um, George Floyd situation, although it sure looks to us like the police officer was responsible for the death. And, and by the way, Lowry has said similar things in pa- past podcasts. Um, <laughs> we, you know, it's we don't. I, my understanding is that the official coroner's report is wishy-washy on the cause of death. Yeah, sure. But we have the video of the rioters, but we also have video of George Floyd that some people think make him look very guilty, just like some people think the rioters look right. very guilty. No, I, yeah. I think most people, but the difference is, is that I can see the window being smashed and I don't need expertise to to ascertain what caused it to be smashed. Mm-hmm. But it's it's possible that George Floyd died from underlying causes 
Um, I, I'm not saying that he did. I'm not defending what happened there. So don't try to box me in in some sort of Malcolm Gladwell shenanigans. You're putting words in my mouth, putting words in your mouth. Because <laughs> I know how you people work. I, this is the third time today I got called you people for being on the left. Um, hey, if it quacks like a duck and walks like a duck. So, so, um, so yeah, I thought he said a lot of good things. But when he was talking about the institutions and and everything that Lowry was saying, I was like, yeah, but I believe this stuff too, you know? Like when he's saying law and order, I think that's part of the reason that we see these riots taking place is because we expect the police officers to uphold law and order or we expect the president to, you know, if he's a law and order president and then you say, well, a sitting president can't be indicted or a sitting president can pardon Roger Stone, it undermines the argument I a little bit. I wish you could see my eyes rolling. I'm just saying it undermines the argument a little bit. Or, or No, it, it doesn't. <laughs> as soon as you bring Trump into it, you tend to go off the rails. Okay. Uh, the, the power to pardon, which I would be wholly in favor of a constitutional amendment to take that away, mm -hmm. is as constitutional as the First Amendment. So that's part of law and order. Um, the, the justice department's, uh, decision, which, you know, memorandum, which hasn't ever been examined by the Supreme court that a sitting president can't be indicted long existed before, uh, Donald Trump. Sure. So, sure. But what I'm saying is if law and order is this idea that everybody, and this is what Lowry said, you know, that everybody's accountable to the law, then the president shouldn't be above the law. He should be able to. He's not. He should be able to be he, indicted. Did you not read the Supreme Court decisions he, last week? He should be able to be indicted. Right. Well, no. That that's those are two different things. Uh, and by the way, most scholars think that a president could be indicted in a state court, or at least that's more of a possibility. Right. But all ulti ultimately my point and going we can go back to the police then if the police if the police can kill with impunity and they you know they can't and obviously these police officers have been arrested but really a lot of the police officers who've been arrested are only being arrested because their cell phone video footage and when you look at like uh, brianna taylor's the police report compared to um what what was then shown on video they don't match up and so when you're asking right. for law and order, then the people that are tasked with upholding law and order have to also follow law and order. So if you could get that to happen first, then these riots wouldn't be happening. Oh, that's just such bull honky. Like, why do you guys do these pirouettes of... of uh, you're talking of about taking away the verbal... leaves. You want to you take away the leaves, we want to take away the roots. Right. And that's what makes populism uh, frightening and tragic. Um, I'm all for reforms, including legal reforms, that would make it easier to hold police officers accountable. Good. Then that's, Absolutely. Then that's, I don't what the right that. needs, that, that's what the right needs to say, because they're not saying but, that. But you, well, I 
I'm, that's, I'm sorry. That's what you as people. As soon as I get paid to be a spokesperson for the right, I would be happy to say that. All we see from the but, right are the thin blue line and standing up for police officers who no, are under well, attack. That's nonsense, and you, you know okay. it. You're I'm, overgeneralizing. Well, uh, I, it's a good thing we're not using camera because then you'd be even more uh, playing to the audience. I had I had to say it since you said you people a couple times. <laughs> Because two wrongs make a right. That's where that, that's where I that's, stand. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So anyway, those well, were some some of my. You know, I didn't have very many criticisms with Lowry because I agreed with him, like on, you know, almost you, everything that he said. Did you get all the way to the end? I've got thirteen minutes left, and then I was like, "Oh wow, it's after four. Yeah, I think you might have missed the climax. You probably got far enough to hear where first he's like totally smacking down and we really should uh, have his guest name inserted here. Um, the, the, he's associated, of course, with this organization called Braver Angels. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Anyway, so Lowry's like going at him and going at him. And you probably heard that where he's like, this is war. Yeah, and then I don't, you probably got far enough to hear his guest. Maybe it was something like Alan Wood. Um, anyway, to hear him like come back at Lowry, like in a way that I was like, "Whoa!" If that had been in person, I would have been <laughs> uh, slightly uncomfortable. But in so then it, I don't want to say too much, but um, where they end up in the last few minutes uh, was a real surprise to me. Hmm. Because, yeah, I won't say more than that. So what do you think about the, the Revisionist History podcast? <sighs> it's such... It's such, it, What is the purpose of that podcast? Of that particular... So why don't you give a, a little intro description, if you can keep it under five minutes, of what the pod is about, this particular episode is about? Uh, my take was that particular episode is about... Brown versus board and how in history classes, it's often taught as like this great and amazing um, court decision, which it is desegregating schools, but it's never looked at uh, the cost that it took on black teachers and how that was the start of uh, black teachers being out of the classroom, which was really detrimental to black students. So the point of the episode by Malcolm Gladwell is to fan the flames of resentment and frustration. No, 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 no. The point is to tell the truth and to tell a more complete story than the half story we get. I think that's intriguing, but I think he just opens up a can of emotional worms and doesn't offer any solution uh, or any feelings of of um, forward progress. I mean, the feelings of forward progress are told all the time in the classroom. I mean, that's part of the curriculum are these feelings of forward progress. So that story's already told. And we're allowed to keep telling that? I'm not sure yeah. that we are. Oh, you think that I, when I'm teaching U.S. history, I'm going to be like, and Brown v. Board was evil. No, desegregation was, I, I, was great, but that's we we only ever hear the one side of it. But wait, was it great? Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking of well. First of all, I don't know how you could have remedied the problem 
of segregation by the solution proposed in the episode, which is, uh, you know, that the teachers need to be integrated at schools before students. Like, I don't know how that's under what constitutional framework that happens. Um, I'm fine with his basic critique of Brown. I just don't know what his purpose is. And I also wonder, um, it made me think about the Killer Mike Netflix episode where he worked, he, you know, talks about how in many ways African-Americans were better off under segregation because there was this, you know, communal support that was forced. Right. And he, he spends the episode attempting to only purchase from black owned businesses, including his weed and so forth. Okay. I'll have to watch um, that. Oh yeah. If you haven't watched it, you, You'll love it, but uh, it's not kid friendly. You know his language. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, like, I, I don't, I just don't understand the purpose of the episode. I, I think why I th not just say, I don't know. Well, also, I've always been taught before listening to that episode a couple years ago um, that. Brown v. Board was talking about how bad the black schools were and how good the white schools were. That was what I was taught, and that was wrong. So it's well, correct. It's well, well, no, hang on, because that is what the the and, and Gladwell admits or says that's his indictment. That is what Brown v. Board says, right? But you're saying not all black schools were bad, right? I, I, what he left out. And so if you want complete history, I think before you go running off on your white horse. I well, hold on a second. I know where you're going. And I agree with you before on just at the beginning. I want to say I agree with the, the next statement. I, oh, mean, I think I know where you're going. OK, now I, now I'm going to say lots of things. <laughs> so I'm taking a deep breath. Yeah. And I'm going to say that my understanding is and I have not studied it, um, that in many places, especially perhaps in the deep South, let's say outside of, of Kansas, which was relatively moderate, that black schools were inferior in terms of uh, the textbooks, the conditions in the classroom. Yeah. It's yes. Yeah. Yes. So in that way, there was an equality. Right. Yeah. That, the Supreme Court got that right. Okay. Right. The I'm whole purpose. They will be happy to know that you have. Approved. I, you know, I do. Um, of this, of this decision. Let's not. We can get started on Citizens United next week. Oh God! Another eye roll. <laughs> I know. We, we can hear that come through. On the. Uh, <laughs> um. Yeah, they got they got it right. Right. That the whole purpose of separate but equal was separate but unequal. I mean, that's like just evident. Just looking at. A lot of the places, a lot of the water fountains, a lot of the bathrooms, a lot of the. So then what what would stop Gladwell? And look, I have to give him credit because he signed in that Har signed on to that Harper's letter that got, a you know, sort of a political kerfuffle last week, um, endorsing liberal classical uh, society that allows people room to disagree. So, right. OK, I get it. He's not horrible. But why couldn't he, in his episode, include just one line that says Brown wasn't an awful decision? It it could have been better. Yeah, you know, you can take that up with him. 
<laughs> I'm sure a- uh, when we tag him in our Twitter post about talking yeah. about his episode, uh, he's going to sign on to a lot more letters. Like we'll get cancel cultured already. Oh, uh, don't, don't think I'm not afraid of that. I mean, I, uh, well for this podcast, I- I'm not afraid of that. Not yet. <laughs> I, I've had two experiences with cancel culture in the last 24 hours. Uh, and yeah, I don't know what to think of it. So what's the overlap between cancel culture and boycotting? Um, the way I explained it in a, in a Facebook inter- exchange that I had earlier today, which I think I survived. We'll see. <laughs> uh, I did. I did have a person say that he thinks based upon me being a centrist that he, he he thinks I'm less qualified to be a teacher because he wants a teacher who has moral clarity. Um, but I would say a boycott is a part of cancel culture, but in my own personal view, it's a, sort of within the bounds of decent society. So, yeah. So I think a boycott is a boycott is saying you're not going to do something and cancel culture is saying nobody else can do it either. Maybe um, the the line that I get really uncomfortable with is when we start to take away people's livelihood because of their that they say something that we find deeply offensive. But oh, I almost yeah. did it yesterday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I I have a lot of problems with cancel culture too, and. You know, I think actually a lot of people on the left in my circles have big problems with cancel culture. I just had, you know, an, an Antifa friend who posted about Salman Rushdie's fatwa that was placed on his head for writing the satan- satanic verses, who, who is by no means a conservative, you know, and he understands cancel culture better than anybody. I thought, yeah, we're like the left, the left has pushed the envelope in many ways, right? And yeah, I, I see cancel culture everywhere, not just from the left, although it, it feels like it's only the left that's getting called the cancel culture group. I've been told to boycott Starbucks and Disney and lots and lots of things. I would, I would say those are a part of cancel culture, but I don't, I can't think of as many examples on the right of people trying to get other people fired. Um, but look, yeah. if people want to, you know, burn their Harry Potter books because of JK Rowling's tweets. I, about, I know I'm a, I'm opposed like, to that. Well, I'm fine with them burning their books. Oh like, yeah, to yeah, me, yeah. Even yeah. though I would say that's a little bit a part of cancel culture. Sure. Yeah. Okay. This is, this is the difference. What I said was the difference between boycotting and cancel culture, right? That's what you're saying. I'm saying they're boycotting is is on a spectrum of cancel culture, right? And and to there's a line somewhere, and I don't know exactly where it is, that I'm I'm okay with, partly because J.K. Rowling has such a huge platform, right? Right. Um, but what if she were a, a small shopkeeper in Goshen? Uh, we can, you know, both of us know a, a local Karen who, um likes to dox and out and various businesses when when she doesn't like something about them yeah was 
with a decent following. Yes, she does have a decent following. Um, and that's where, even though it's maybe on its face, well, what's the difference? It's just sort of calling a business into account. Yeah, but J.K. Rowling has a billion dollars. Right. So. Uh, yeah, it makes me uneasy. Yeah. It makes me very, very uneasy. Right. As, as I think it should make everybody uneasy. Well, I'm not going to run around shitting on people, but lots of people um, that I can think of, like, I mean, just within my feed on the left are much more okay with firing people for what they perceive as racist or sexist or misogynistic or transphobic or homophobic or xenophobic. Did I get most of the sins? Uh, Yeah, I I need to memorize the list. Ethnocentric, did you say that? I didn't. You know, they don't usually mention that. I feel like that's not hardcore enough for them. It's like, it's it's too centrist. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, man. I, by the way, I checked out uh, Glenn Beck's The Overton Window, which now, even mentioning that, we're probably going to get cancel cultured <laughs> well you will <laughs> but i uh, know yeah my my lefty friends of which i'm a member of their group uh, they're not going to be happy with it but yeah part of the reason i checked out the book was just so i could remember the term the overton window you know because i like i can never i couldn't recall it all the time when i'm bringing it Dude, up but I, only wikipedia I know, but only Wik- to say... Wikipedia. I'm going to spend seven hours reading this book just so I can remember the term over... But I'm just saying, everyone's a centrist. That's what I'm saying. I'm a centrist. You're a centrist. Bernie Sanders and Trump, both right in the middle. What? That's another Malcolm Gladwell nonsense statement. Like, what am I supposed to do with that? No, I'm... That's the Overton window. You know, you've got the spectrum. Sliding yeah, scales. I know what the Overton window is, but it does mm-hmm. not teach that we are all centrists. That says there's a sliding scale of what's left and what's right. And when I think of the sliding scale, sometimes in my mind, I think, well, I guess that just means we're all in the middle. Good luck with that. Maybe I need to pull you into this this feed in which I, this thread uh, yeah. in which... Uh, you should. It starts off with Andrew Cowles. This is an incredibly centrist take, and he goes on about why that's bad. Um, was was it one of your right wing friends who wants you to be more on the right, or one of your, you know, left wing no, friends who I don't, wants you to be? See, that's what. No, I, that's what's so different about our feeds. I think I expose myself to a lot more offensive, crazy left wing stuff. And you seem to like, and I think I just unfollow um, the right wing craziness on my feed. Yeah, and I'm the other way around. Or, or maybe, or you follow both, but, and I follow both, but I don't think that the left wing stuff is that crazy, and you don't think that the right wing stuff is that crazy. Yeah, that sort of confirmation bias would make sense to me. So here's their definition, long way down in the thread of of what centrism is, because then I said, oh, well, I'm fine with that. And they were like, how can you be fine with this? Um, So I'm, I'm quoting now. My understanding is that 
if Democrat is blue and Republican is red, centrist is purple, and they mean that to be bad because then they say independent is yellow. Uh, I don't know if this makes any sense, but centrist is more of a, well, I don't really want to choose a side. They both have good points. Whereas independent is both sides have very little to offer me. So I'm starting from scratch. And some of my individual beliefs may align with one side or the other. But for the most part, I think both sides are majorly flawed and the two-party system is corrupt. Huh. Well, that's a hot take. Well, I mean, yeah, both have their problems, but both have their strengths, too. And you can, I mean, we've got so many different identities pulling within us. And our, I think one of our favorite quotes is, I contain multitudes, right? So you can be yeah, on the yeah. Republican side on on gun control, but you can be on the Democrat side on marijuana, or you can be on the Republican side on abortion and on the Democrat side on education. And it's that, you know, Ezra Klein in his book, why we're polarized. I just read that. And he talks about how oftentimes moderates aren't really moderates when, when you sort people into categories. And when, when they take these tests, they come out as moderate, but they actually have extreme views on yeah, one side yeah. or the other, and then they get averaged into this moderate position, and then they then they claim to be independent centrists. And you're like, but are you? Are you really? Well, they are independent if they don't necessarily vote the party line. Yeah. Um, so there's that. I have a feeling that these three young people in this thread—they're probably all about twenty in their early 20s mm-hmm. uh i have a feeling that they would reject the word moderate as evil uh right along with centrist sure yeah but would they put themselves on the right or left or they're they're putting themselves oh. in yellow uh no they are um they uh i'm not quickly seeing a, a nice little uh quote but um well here we go uh quote personally i think the right versus left mentality is just a distraction from larger issues at hand i definitely don't view myself as a liberal which is what most would assume um yeah i don't know i i think they're pretty close to our friend karen's position on things huh you know burn it all down yeah yeah, Although well, I, I, I will say we managed to have a, a polite exchange here if you ignore the part about me not having moral clarity. Um, and I escaped, but I, I went for a walk this afternoon and the whole hour I was gone, I was nervous about what were these three posting about me? Like, <laughs> is, you know, like they did, they did the custom setting where it was global minus cows. Uh, yeah, it could very well be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm sure there are lots of posts about both of us that are set those ways. Yeah, although, isn't it, wouldn't you say, I know you're just making a joke, but you know I'm not good at that, that most of the time when people, in fact, you'll get to this at the end of the Glenn Lowry episode where he talks about a lot of the positions that we do about justice and and morality are really about ego. And I think if someone were posting about us online, even if they were wanting to cancel us, 
I think they would include us out of ego. Yeah, you're probably right. Include us until we've read it and then block us. <laughs> until it's... we've been fired. Yeah. And then until we're yeah. living under a bridge. And then once we're homeless and living under a bridge, they would support giving us government paid for <laughs> health care and housing. So, you know, it's not all bad. Yeah, maybe. I think that as long as we've learned our lesson. So here's another question. This cancel culture stuff. Like, would it apply to teachers? You know, like I'm, I'm not a small business, elite public school teachers. You know what I mean? Legally? What do you mean? Well, like, like if I'm a small business owner and they put pressure on, like I say that I hate bald people. And they're like, that's that's harassed, you know, or whatever. And they start boycotting my small business and they talk, they have other people that, uh, you know, I had this Facebook post, this anti-bald person Facebook post and they boycott the business. Like I, I could go out of business or whatever. But if I post a Facebook post that says I hate bald people and it's brought to the school board's attention, if it's on my own private feed, like since I, I'm at a government job, Am I protected by free speech? Well, it, that's interesting because my and you know we should say for the record that I'm not a lawyer and I don't play one on TV, but I have enough ego to to have some thoughts that um, you would have some. You have more protection if you work at a public university than if you work at a public K twelve school. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, I love bald but, people. I just I just want to say that right now. Huh. And I, on the other hand, if I were being honest, would would confess uh, the opposite. But, you know, I'm afraid of them burning down the school. So, <laughs> well, I mean, um, how could I even. OK, keep going. All right. Oh, trust me, you can. It's called internalized hatred. Okay. <laughs> um, and they believe in that. So um, that's how they managed to, you know, throw out voices from Clarence Thomas and Glenn Lowry. Um Shoot, now you distracted okay. me and public, I just want to keep public un- making jabs. <laughs> public universities, I'd have more. Oh, was... yeah, because the at least to whatever extent the lemon test still, no, not the lemon test, but free speech protections for um, K-12 teachers are, there's this provision that talks about um, and not a you know not a, a, a provision in any exact law, but in just judicial interpretations that talk about um, distracting from the the cause of the school, and so that's where things can get dicey. Um, like you could say on your feed uh, that you love President Trump, and that's because that's just straight up political. Mm-hmm. That would be protected speech. But if you said that um, students who attend school and don't love Trump should be taught better, you know, should be taught better manners or or should be enlightened, then a school district might have a warrant to say, look, you got to delete that. Mm -hmm. Yeah is my understanding as a non-lawyer. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I'm I'm really I'm looking forward to testing the limits this year. 
Oh dear. So, uh, have you followed the case at all? So I'll make I'll make sure to you person. No. So there's some doofus in I... IUSB who there's a petition out there to to have him disciplined and fired. Um for uh as far as I can tell, for purely for his social media posts and for his uh bumper stickers on his car, which are pretty offensive. A lot of uh elite, I'm, and I've not seen any of this. There's never even been a screenshot of like his bumper stickers or his social media, but so I don't know if it's even accurate, right? But the the petition has this long list and it it says things like um, homosexuals are pervs and uh, George Lloyd got what he deserved or something, stuff that I would say is pretty offensive. Yeah. But when I, I saw like fairly educated people say, yeah, he should be fired. And I like had to school him and say, he's a he's a public employee. The government can't fire him as long as everything he does within his job is is straight up, you know, exemplary. Mm-hmm. And, and I think eventually in the two cases where I, I went a couple rounds with, with some people, I think at least one of them said, oh, yeah, I get it. Um, it's like that professor at IU last year. And the other one just stopped engaging with me. So <laughs> I, I don't know what, what that means. You won by fatigue. I, I don't like to win that way. I, I really prefer if they tap out. Yeah, no, I understand. Like sometimes... I'll let the other person know that they're only winning by fatigue when they're winning for <laughs> when they're winning for real, just so they don't have the the feeling. Uh, man, that is the classic definition of passive aggression. Oh, you better believe it, man. Yeah. Yeah. I I think we can both at times be pretty petty. <laughs> oh, well, petty. Yeah. Uh, passive aggressive. You know, whatever. I yeah, I'm probably more often aggressive than I don't know. So here's a question. Do you think we should make this our first episode or do you think we should have an episode where we introduce the episode? <laughs> you know, that we where we introduce the podcast. Cuz this is going to be forever. I, yeah. Um I'm not opposed to holding this episode and making it like episode 2 or 3 or 4 if we want to get like better at it, more polished. Um, but I think an introductory episode is boring. All right. You know, I'm, I'm open to meaningful dialogue on well, that. Well, here's, here's the uh, meaningful dialogue. Calvin and Hobbes. Did you ever read Calvin and Hobbes? Yeah. In his 10th anniversary yeah. book, he, he goes back and he, he had this introductory panel frame where he was like how Calvin met Hobbes. And he's like, I wish, you know, I don't really think I had to do that. It was a waste. So. So maybe you're right. Did you read? Uh, did you read the Chronicles of Narnia? I, I know you don't read much. Uh, is, is that the one by Tolkien? Is that... <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> so you know the way they used to be published. Um, the first one, the one that most people knew, was the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Yeah. And and I think it's uh, the Magician's Nephew, maybe, which has like yeah. you know the sort of prequel yeah. stuff. That was book six. Yeah. Um, but now the way at least some sets are published, um, they've moved the magician's nephew to book one. Yeah. Yep. And I'm like, okay, fine. 
But I personally just think we're going to try to hook people, and the hook is is our uh, sizzling, scintillating dialogue, and telling them about our lives and why we're doing this. Oh gosh, yeah. it makes me roll my eyes. Yeah. No, I hear you. Hey, here's a uh, I, I here's a trivia question I ask because I know you love trivia, and so do our listeners. <laughs> uh, the Chronicles of Narnia was written by C.S. Lewis, who died the same day as Aldous Huxley, who wrote Brave New World. But both of their deaths were overshadowed by this Pulitzer Prize-winning author, who also died the same day. I've got no clue. JFK. So, oh. I know, three for a loop there, didn't I? Yeah, because that's what he's known for. <laughs> he did a couple things. As if he deserved that Pulitzer anyway. Yeah, he ghost wrote that book, didn't he? I think. I mean, it was just one of the nowadays, you know, it, it's just basically a campaign book is my understanding of it. Yeah. Um, I've got. And yeah. besides, it, you know, probably if he hadn't, if if the publisher had like demurred and said, well, we're not interested in this. My understanding is that Daddy Kennedy would have uh, come down hard. Yeah, they had they had some power. <laughs> that family. Uh-huh. Yeah, some power. Talk about, you know, oh, that would be a great case for the next time you're you're going off on one of your oh so short uh monologues about Trump would be to talk about the corruption of the Kennedy family, how they, you know, stole an election and then installed family members in super high ranking positions. Blah 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 blah. You know, yeah, sure. Let's let's go. Right now. Episode two. Coming up next month. <laughs> the whole episode will be you and your monologue. Your like rap about Trump. Uh, it was forty minutes long. My my rap about Trump was four minutes long. <laughs> forty, forty. Yeah. You know. It was. Yeah. yeah. I was a real hip hopper. Speaking of forty, what? Uh, how can I ask? How long are we sort of aiming for most episodes to be? You know, I say give the fans what they want. Let them tweet at us and tell us. You there? Yeah. To Mommy Bomb is hosted by Andrew Cowles and Philip Hotmaker. The outro music is Cameron Bradley's song Saturday from his album Waltz. Look him up on Spotify. Feel free to tweet us at TomamiBomb or look us up on Facebook. But most importantly, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you found us. Thanks for listening. You're listening to Tomami Bomb.